Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. So uh, we have gone through chapters one through five of Genesis. And we see in chapters one and two, we see God create. We see that he creates everything good. And good means that it has life in it and that it can reproduce that life to others and share that life and foster that life. And so that answers the question from like a worldview standpoint. Uh, Where do we come from? But then chapters three through five, we see the question answered, like what's gone wrong with the world? And so in chapters three through five, we see humans begin to change the way that they relate with one another and change the way that they relate with creation and change the way that they relate to God. See, God shows that defining good and evil would not be defined by humans, but would be defined in relationship to him. And so in chapter three, we see humans choose to define good and evil themselves, and we see it ripple out all throughout creation. And that's what we join in today as we keep walking out this idea of uh, how's it going? How's it going with humans defining good and evil? And you're going to see different stories all throughout uh, we're going to do chapter six through 11. We're not going to read everything, uh, within there, but you see a bunch of different stories and each story compounds this understanding that this experiment of humans defining good and evil is not going well. Like them deciding what is right and wrong and good and evil does not go well. It's different than what God created. And so, <clears throat> uh, in, As we read through, it's interesting, if you've read the Bible some, uh, you'll notice some of these stories, and you'll be familiar with them. But I want to try to help us see them differently. Because one person can read something and they see totally different things. Or one person can be in a situation and, and see that situation totally different. For instance, when I was in high school, my senior year, one of my best friends, Joey, he was an offensive lineman, big six foot two, six foot three guy, and uh, halfway through the season, he, uh, he, he dislocated his shoulder. Dave, we're getting some feedback. Can you turn down the game? Thanks. Um, so he dislocated his shoulder and he was actually out for the season. And so, uh, there was this strange phenomena that anytime we'd be playing basketball, we'd do that a lot. Um, he would stretch something and his shoulder would pop out. And so Joey is in this excruciating pain. And so Joey saw his shoulder popping out as this absolutely miserable experience. Well, for the rest of us, we actually saw it differently because we would put Joey's shoulder back into place. And so he would have us do it over and over again. It was just kind of what we did. And so for us, it was like, all right, we get to, we get to do this again. And so we saw it completely different. That's probably why uh, a little bit later on that year, um, in any young people, the things I talk about disclaimer are not recommendations on what you should do in life. Um, A little bit later that year, I decided, or Joey, actually, I think he suggested that uh, he pull me uh, in my car on a skateboard. And so, and I said, hey, keep it below like 10, 15. We're on this side street. Joey gets going like 35 or 40. And so, and it's, uh, you know, skateboards can go that fast, but they need to be set a certain way. And so uh, if you know what speed wobbles are, it's kind of, so I decided that at about 35 miles an hour, I had to bail. And so I I did this like stunt man roll and and somehow I didn't, you know, do damage to myself. Uh, But I did this roll and people were at this park with their kids and what's going on. I just said, it's okay. I'm a professional. And, and so, 
But Joey looked at me, and it was kind of this, like, I'm getting you back, you know, for, for how you saw the shoulder. But um, Joey saw that incident uh, totally different. He laughs about things. It, it's one of the most frightening. Uh, now I have teenagers. It's one of the most frightening scenarios of my life. I could have, so many things could have happened to me that I worry about with my own kids. But we see things different. And so as we walk through this, these chapters, I want to challenge us to see it different. And what we're going to do... <clears throat> is we're going to quickly go through like the assessment of how this thing's going. We're going to go chapter 6 through 11. We're going to go fast, and we're going to walk through this. So, so, so walk along with me as you walk through this and, and look at these different scenarios. And as the reader that this was written to originally would have been the people of Israel trying to look at their situation, which, which was bad, and, and, and kind of look at what's going on in the situation in in. So first we see humans defining good and evil, and we have to look at it like, how do you see it? How do you see what's going on? So, excuse me. So verse one of chapter six of Genesis starts with this. Then the people began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. Everything's fine at this point. That's what God asked them to do. But it says, the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. They were living, as we saw last week, to like almost a thousand years. Uh, In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. So first off, where it says the sons of God, uh, these are probably fallen angels. So these are angels that rebelled against God. They're created beings. They're not literally the sons of God um, or they're powerful, evil kings. Either way, to show how bad things are going, we see something that that we see today. You see uh, uh, males in a position of power um, abusing their position and forcing themselves upon women. That's what you see here in this experiment of defining good and evil. Uh, God shortens the lifespan of people to 120 years. Um, This could be, uh, pay attention, Sometimes it's God saying, I'm going to make this. Uh, and then other times it's, uh, it's saying, uh, it's saying like, this is going to happen because you did this. And so sometimes it's ambiguous as far as like, is is God literally making this happen? Or is this a result of what's happened? Um, God observes the total depravity of humans. Last week, we saw the idea of original sin, which continues on to all people. But now we see the total depravity of people that that even their best attempts at being good uh, will end up being evil 
over time on their own of defining this. Uh, God decides that his creation project is over, and he says, I'm, I'm, it's done. I'm going to wipe everybody out. This is absolutely done. Things are bad. Uh, but then God shares his plans with Noah. And so Noah's a man that God says, hey, I, this guy is going to be my partner. He says, so God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. And so, the, you know, imagine going about your day. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden God says, hey, I'm going to do this. And you and your family are the only ones that are going to survive. Okay. All right. What do we do next? And so verse 14, it says, I want you to build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stall, stalls throughout its interior. So imagine that this is Salina, Kansas. Okay, middle of the United States on the plains. That's the extent of what God's doing. This idea of putting a boat in the middle of the desert. Uh, it just didn't make sense, but, but Noah did it anyways. And so we see in chapter seven, we see that God actually follows through on what he says he's going to do. Verse 17, it says, for 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the, waters, as the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat f- floated safely on the surface. Finally, the waters covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. And all the living things on the earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, and small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. Uh, so pretty specific, pretty, pretty, you know, we would look and say drastic, but I mean, isn't that what people wonder? It's like, well, how can God see what's going on? I mean, why doesn't he just wipe it out? Or why doesn't he just start over? Well, he, he's done that. He's done that. And so God, God follows through on his plan. Uh, and he, he wipes out everything on the earth besides Noah and these animals that he brings in all animals representative of every kind on the earth so that they would survive. Uh, it's interesting too, God in the process has to unravel part of his creation in the way he designed it for this to happen. In Genesis 1, 6 through 10, you see God set borders for water, land, and then also in the sky and atmosphere. But what he does to be able to flood the earth, he actually undoes part of his creation to be able to have this flood go on. And so it's, it's pretty, um, things aren't going well with people being in charge. And then chapter eight, we get kind of a reprieve and chapter eight is a new beginning. It's interesting. Eight is the number of new beginnings and we have a new beginning on the earth. Noah and his family and all the animals come out of the ark and they start a new life. And so things are going pretty good. But then in chapter nine, uh, Noah decides to get busy doing some other things. And so uh, this may not be in here. Yeah, it's not in there. So um, just listen along as I read this. So after the flood, Noah begins to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. When Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned that Ham, his youngest son, what his youngest son had done. Then he cursed Canaan, son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May 
may he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, may the Lord God of Shem be blessed and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem. May Canaan be his servant. Noah lived another 350 years after the great flood. He lived 950 years and then he died. So Noah gets drunk and naked. Okay. I mean, there's just, the Bible is a very honest book and we don't know. Some people say, well, Noah was this righteous man. He must have just been caught off guard. He didn't know what fermented grapes did. Uh, you know, uh, we, we don't know. Or people think just, you know, he just went for it. It's like, man, that was pretty stressful. The destruction of the earth made it through. Let's have a celebration, you know, and, and it just, it kind of carried further than he thought. Um, but it says that Ham acts inappropriately at his father's nakedness. So in other words, Noah's passed out in his tent and Ham somehow acts inappropriately, says something or does something inappropriate. And so you need to see that this is repeating the cycle that Adam and Eve started, right? They sinned. And before they sinned, what happened? They actually were naked and knew no shame. But after they sinned, they were aware that they were naked and put coverings. And so you see this layered, you're just like, oh, we're going back to the way we started. Already it's happening again. And an important note is, is you know, as Ham does this, um, Noah curses his son and his descendants, and they go on. And, and Canaan would have been the Canaanites, which were the Israelites were always fighting against the Canaanites. And, you know, as God says this, he's not necessarily like making this happen. He may just be saying like, because of who you are and the choices that you're making, this is going to happen throughout your descendants. And I, I just, I just want to pause for a second and just, the Bible is incredibly honest and it shows in like a long picture cause and effect and the, the influence that we can have upon our lives and the lives of others. And Ham at this point, he's just thinking like making whatever choice he made, we don't know what it is, but it's something offensive and he's got something going on in his heart and his life. And he's probably just thinking like, this doesn't affect much. It just affects me. And you know, you and I may be there today where maybe we're making choices. Maybe we're walking down a road. Maybe, um, you know, maybe it's our, it's our physical health. Maybe it's our emotional health. Maybe it's our relational health. Maybe, you know, we're, we're hiding things. And the idea can kind of be that, no big deal. I mean, it's just me. But the Bible lays out what we already know, is that the choices that I make have a profound effect upon those that I love, those that I work with, those that I serve with, those that I live around, my neighbors. And it has a profound effect upon generations, which is what we see here. So the choices that I make today will ripple throughout generations. Now, God can intervene. I mean, that's part of my story. My, 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 uh, my great-grandmother, was, uh, she loved Jesus right up here in Green City, Missouri, two and a half hours away. But my grandfather uh, went to church and things, but didn't really follow Jesus. But then in his 70s, gave his life to Jesus. My dad didn't follow Jesus, but then in, in later in life, gave his life to Jesus. And so, but the, the way he did that is he, he brought my brother and I to Jesus, and then he worked backwards for us to bring them to Jesus. And so God can intervene, but it ripples throughout time, the, the choices in, that we make. And so Genesis 10 
we see it starts with, this is the account of the families of Shem. And so there's 10 spots in Genesis where the writer does this. And anytime it says these are the accounts of these people, he's shifting to a new section. But don't worry, it's still going bad. It's still going bad. The experience is still going bad. And then in verse 32, uh, it says this. These are the clans that, that descended. It lists all these people. And basically out of these three sons of Noah, these are the descendants in all the nations of the world. So it actually lays out. You can go look. And some of the nations you'll recognize. Some of them you'll look and say, I've never heard of that before. But it says they are arranged by nation according to their lines of descent. All the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. And so um, things are still going bad. And so now you see kind of like, let's span out. Let's look at all these nations that are going bad. But now let's focus in on one event. And that's what happens in verse chapter 11, verse 1. It says, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So strong buildings during this time and and still today, things that resemble this are made with stone. And so remember, humans are defining what is good and what is evil up to this point. That's what we're observing is we're seeing this process. So um, they decide that they don't have any stone, so let's use brick. And let's build the biggest, tallest, amazingest, wow building that's ever been made. What could go wrong with brick? You couldn't build such a thing except for stone. These buildings were actually built similar to uh, like the pyramids that we see in Egypt. And you see stones built with those. You don't see brick. And they would actually build these. The intent was is you would build it so high, high enough that the gods would come down and visit you and touch you. And so God's observing this and he's looking at this and it's kind of like those pictures where it says, this is why women live longer than men. You've seen those? And you see like, you know, a couple of guys on the side of a skyscraper and one's holding the ladder and it doesn't really work and, and that sort of thing. That's what God's observing here. Is he's, he's, seen that, uh, he's seen that they're gonna really mess things up. So if you think it's been a bad experience so far, God is saying, whoa, this is absolutely out of control, what people are doing here, defining things on their own. And so we can see all of that going on. And and quite honestly, what we just read is what gets all the press. Uh, It's like where I grew up in Central California, there was the the Mid-State Fair. It was in Paso Robles. And so we'd drive about 25 minutes there. And and typically there was like all these different stages, like a state fair. And you have this band over here, this band over here. And and, uh, there was all the little side stages. And those were like the, you know, just, I don't know, they could sing a tune sort of and just kind of go through local. And, you know, that's great. But then you had the main stage. And, but you passed all the small stages going up to it and you get to the main stage. And most of the time we were at the, 
just the kind of the sideshows. But I remember uh, we went, my first concert was Kenny Loggins. If anybody, anybody know who Kenny Loggins is? Yeah. So most embarrassing moment of my life. My mom watches these sometimes, but my mom gets up on the chair and she's like, yeah, you know, and just like, you know, as, as a preteen, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing, you know? And so we were at the main stage, but it's something that happens throughout life is that we, we put the things on the main stage, which actually are just the sideshow. And so everything we just read, we need to understand that, look, humans, we absolutely, in our own, in our own efforts, in our own ability, because we're defining good and evil ourselves, are absolutely depraved. Like, we can't do it on our own. It's, it's, we prove it time and time again. We think politics can do it. We think a leader can do it. All, I mean, we just look over and over, and yet we just get ourselves into this trouble over and over again. History always repeats itself. And so we need God to intervene. And so that, all that we read, is what most people know. But let's look at what God was doing in the midst of each of these stories. And it has to do with grace. You know, I think a lot of people think that, like, God all of a sudden created grace in, you know, what we read in the New Testament. But the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament to New, is just filled with God's great grace. It's just absolutely, the, the entire thing is just God's grace upon grace upon grace. And so God's grace is unmerited favor for us. So in other words, it has nothing to do with what I bring to the equation, but it just has to do with God's favor. Grace is not dependent upon performance or our scorecard or our response to how good or bad we've been. See, what God's grace does is it creates an environment that people can actually live in and experience freedom and experience peace and experience love and experience real life. That's what grace actually does. And it's actually what we're meant to actually live in. So the availability of God's grace is abundant. It always has been from the beginning. If you look at the main stage, if you look at the main thing that's going on. And so we're going to run through where we see God's grace in the midst of this, everything that people are doing. So we read this, but chapter six, verse six through eight, most people think, well, why did, what was going on with God when he flooded the earth? He was angry. So it's like, you know, he disciplined out of anger. Not so. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It says in verse six, it says, so the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth, it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. And so what is going on with God? You see regret and pain. And you know, you theologians out there say, well, wait a minute. God knows everything that's going to happen. Yes, but for some reason and somehow, and here's the thing, let him be God. God somehow, in the way that he interacts with creation and humans, made it so that he could be surprised. And well, if God doesn't know something, he ceases to be God, and I, all this other stuff, but just, I don't know. Allow there to be awe and wonder. God made it that when he created us that he would be surprised and he regretted what had happened. He regretted creating humans. And it says that he felt pain. He felt pain for what they were doing on the earth. 
But then we see this amazing hope come in verse 8. It says, that, it says that favor or grace found Noah. More correctly, it actually, this is what it means, is that, is that um, it, wait, did I say it right there? So uh, that, um, that, yeah, it says, it says that Noah found grace or Noah found favor. That's how it gets translated. But really what it's saying is, is that grace found Noah. And so that puts it different, right? Like if I find grace, that means that I'm kind of in the driver's seat and God's kind of passive towards me. But Noah actually is found by grace. Now you may say later on, it says, you know, that Noah is righteous and blameless and walked in close fellowship with God. But those are the results of grace. Those weren't the cause of grace. Do you see how if we look at this differently, like Here's the thing. The Old Testament very often is read and taught that like there's all these heroes. And we even have a chapter in the New Testament where we see the heroes of faith. And Noah is one of them. By faith, Noah did this. But I want you to know something that the heroes aren't the people. The heroes are what God's doing. God's really the only hero. Because anything that anybody ever does is by grace. And it's, import- it's an important kind of division because otherwise we end up reading the Old Testament characters like we're to be like them. Yeah, be like Noah and go for it and, and do more and, and you can do more for God. You can read the entire Bible and you can just get this whole sense like I'm supposed to do more for God. When in reality, the entire Bible from start to finish shares this idea of look what God has done and is doing for you. How would I live differently that if I see all of this as God doing things for me versus what I'm supposed to do for God? And you will do great things for God. But it needs to come out of this idea of receiving grace upon grace upon grace. And know this, that if you, you know, if you don't end up being, you know, doing some great thing or some great success or this big thing or whatever, that sort of thing, that's not what it's about, It's about being just a beloved child of God and just knowing him. That's what God wants. Now, when someone is loved that way, it flows out. It goes. But that's not the point is to do the great things. And in this chapter two, we see a covenant. God says, God says, uh, you know, look, I'm going to make this covenant with you. And covenants are usually like I agree, I agree. But God says, look, we're, we have a covenant now. It's like the, the Godfather movie. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And he says, look, we're making this covenant, but it's all on me. It's all on me. You just do what I ask you to do, and we're good. I'm going to take care of you. And so in the midst of wiping everything out, God pours grace, and he does it upon a person to continue this whole thing. But then he says, too, I want the rest of creation to come with you as well. And so he brings the rest of creation on there. So we see God's grace in chapter six. And then in chapter seven, we actually see, uh, we actually see God's provision and God's protection. And so God provides the ark. God provides the person that receives his grace. And there's this continuation of God's creation, even though he's starting again. And he, uh, there's many other like flood narratives 
If you've read history, like there's Mesopotamia and uh, flood narratives, there's Babylonian, there's, there's the Gilgamesh uh, narrative, which is very similar to what we read in scripture about the flood narrative. But in, in all of the other narratives, I believe, uh, there's these gods, different gods that tell them, okay, now's the time to go in and go ahead and shut the door. And then the, the Noah figure the, or the parallel to Noah then shuts the door. In the Bible, it's God that shuts the door. Do you see? It, it, it's, it's him that is, is making us safe. It's him that's protecting. It's him that's the hero all throughout. And then so... There's also grace in the fact that uh, the only people that survived was the ones you know, that, that God set apart. And not, not that they're the only ones that survived, but that God made someone survive. And so we see this grace over and over again. And then in chapter 8, uh, you know, in verse 1, it says, but God remembered Noah. You're like, well, wait a minute. So God is surprised by things and he doesn't remember things. I'm not having confidence. But no. What this more means is, is that, but God was mindful of Noah. It actually means that he's continuing on the route with Noah and he's walking with Noah. And there's not a moment that Noah isn't in his family, isn't on his mind. And then he says, now's the time. And so he and all of the animals and his family within, uh, within there are set loose. And Noah, when he comes off the boat in chapter eight, he, he worships. He sets up an altar and he worships God and he sacrifices to God. And, and it says that God smelt the aroma and it was pleasing to him. And he says, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to wipe out the entire earth again. And he, he makes a covenant with Noah again. And, and then in chapter nine, we see grace continue too, because in verse one, it says, then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. So right now you have the restarting of creation, which is I, here's man and woman and the family. And now, now go multiply, go give life, go bring goodness to all places, do it again. And then, and then we have the idea of, of a colorful covenant where God says, you know, look, I'm never going to do this in, this is going to be the sign. And you see the, a bow, like a bow, like a pulling of a bow, that's the rainbow. And, and so it's actually, a, 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 you know, something that's used to destroy or to kill. But God says, this bow that's there on the earth, it's colored. When I see it, it will remind me that I'm never doing this again and remind you that I'm never doing this again. And so God makes this covenant with, with, with Noah and his people. And then in verse 10, um, you know, there's not really anything, big sign of grace there, but I will say this, who's a hunter? Come on, don't be shy. Who's a hunter? Nimrod is in chapter 10. Read about Nimrod. It says he was the great first hunter. So I don't have anything other than that, but it's just like he was just, just, it was great hunter. And it's also interesting too, like, isn't that usually used derogatory? Like you're a Nimrod. So I don't know, but he was this great ruler and he was a hunter. And so it's there. So read about Nimrod. If you like, next time you go out for your hunt, just read about this guy and get all fired up and, and you can do it. So chapter 11, though, we, we start to wrap things up. Verse five, where we see this great tower built. Uh, remember, you build these towers for people to, for God to come down and he does, but the true God comes down and he intervenes, right? 
God is always intervening. He's intervening in so many ways. In verse five, it says, but the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. So they were together. They had a common language. There was confusion and they were scattered all over the whole earth. And so that's a grace where God intervenes and says, look, this is going to go really bad. And so let me intervene and change things here. God sees that the disaster that could be ahead. And so he, he changes things. But in verses 27 through 32, we see how God, God does all of this. We see grace upon grace upon grace upon this. Because hopefully you've seen, you've seen Adam and Eve and then their sons and then other people as we've read through this thing. And then you see Noah singled out. You see this whole process. And you may even look at Noah, right? Like there was this big, huge thing. Everything was good and everything's great. And then Noah all of a sudden messes it up, gets drunk and naked. Ever heard of that happening before? I mean, that, that's, that's how the, actually this world functions. Like time and time again, right? There's something good, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, that didn't last long. I mean, how long does it really good last, like upon our own, defining things? Maybe a year, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, I don't know. But the point is, is that apart from God, upon ourselves, upon us doing it, upon us being in charge, we absolutely will mess it up 100% of the time. But when we're in this right relationship with God based upon his grace, things happen God's way. And ultimately, we see that Jesus is the one that's sent that makes this all happen. But everybody that's reading this right now, though, you look and you say, well, like on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate God's creation? 10 being great success, one being horrible. In the first 11 chapters of the Bible, you look and you say, uh, I don't want to be rude, but pretty bad. <laughs> from, from a leadership standpoint, I mean, God breaks all the different rules. I mean, he's micromanaging, he's getting involved, he's pulling things, he's wiping the whole thing, he's firing everybody in a day. I mean, just all the different ways that you wouldn't do it. So everybody's wondering if we're reading this and you're walking through and you're saying, what will God do? Will God be in relationship with people? Or... Will he just be distant and far off? And that's part of the lie, right? Is that God is just distant and far off. But we see next week, so you've got to come back next week. And next week is, I mean, it is, it is one of the top places in all of scripture to show God's promise, to see his plan, to see his purpose. And you know, the saying, like, if you want to go big, go small. That's what God does time and time again. And he narrows in at the end of chapter 11, and he calls these people, it's actually Tara's family. And it says, this is the account of Tara's family. And in the midst of that, it goes out, and then it lays out this person called Abram, later called Abraham. And to Abraham, God makes a promise that's actually going to bless the entire earth. And later, the people of Israel would come through that. 
but they still fail. They still go through this cycle again. And so they think that it could be him. But then ultimately it was that there would be a person that would come out of these people that would rescue the whole earth. And that was Jesus. And so hopefully you've seen that your representatives in the story are totally incompetent. Like, who do you align to in the story, right? Like, if you've ever watched the show, The Office, like, there's actually been a study shown that, like, most people say, well, which character do you align with? Jim. Yeah, Jim. You know, and Jim's the, you know, he's, he's intellectually smart and emotionally smart and all these things, and, you know, there's no way you're Dwight, you're no way, no way any of those other characters. But as we look in the story, you guys, our representatives, the people that are just like this, just can't get it done over and over again. But they do get it done when they're in this idea of grace. Where it's just unmerited, and I let go, open hands, receiving and giving, allowing God to be who he is and me being who I am. And there's this verse, as, we, as we're going to sing one more worship song, have people come up. Um, it's in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grow in the grace That's what we can do together, you guys. Let's stand together. We can grow in this knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grow in him. Grow in grace. Like, what does it mean to grow in grace? If that's what you want to know, like, if you want to know, like, what does God want me to focus on? It's growing in grace. It's growing in him. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.